Don't look now. Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hegeman, coming to you with another episode today. So, as per usual, I have no idea what we're going to be talking about, so I'll be picking up clues from Jenny, just like everybody else. So, so Jenny, what, what's up? I want to talk about how fucking cold it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a mystery. Yeah, it's cold as hell. <laughs> or, yeah, if hell were cold, maybe, maybe... Hell is cold. Sure feels like it. Well, uh, we are not the only ones who have gotten stuck in some weird polar vortex in our lives. We just happen to be going through the weirdest two years of like history, all squishing into <laughs> one time period. But yeah, we want to talk to you about a period of time ranging between the 1300s and the 1850s, plus or minus. Nice. The, the little ice age. The little ice age. That's right. Nice. I figured we're cold. Why? Why not? Yeah, Just that's a good. Do it a little bit. <laughs> good segue there. Yeah. Yeah, but also I'm, I'm fucking cold. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so there's no official onset date to the little ice age. It's highly contested and argued. Um, but like one thing led to another and not one single thing can be the catalyst for the little ice age. So there was a, just basically a bunch of stuff that happened. Yeah. Very suspicious of the potential start of the ice <laughs> age. Um, so like an example in the 13th century, an ice pack began to move southwards in the North Atlantic worldwide glaciers started moving, but in Greenland, especially it was impactful um, and there's some evidence from Baffin Island in Iceland that the cold summers between 1275, like the summer started to get colder between 1275 and 1300. And then it got really fucking cold in 1430 and 1455. Um, and then during that whole big 1300 to 1850 stretch of time, there were three particularly nasty cold periods of time. The first one was in 1650, which for a little context, Jamestown was founded in 1607. So still a cold ass period of time. And then 1770. Um, so right around the time of the War of Independence from Britain for the United States. And then the third period of time was the 1850s, which is Western expansion. Here's the kind of laundry Donner list. Party action. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of Donner Party action. Exactly. They were experiencing unnaturally cold weather. So they ate each other. Sounds normal. So here's the list of things that could have started the Little Ice Age. In 1250, the Atlantic Ice Pack began to grow. And then it broke off and started moving. Um, and this cold period may have been triggered by that and enhanced by the eruption of the Somalis volcano in 1257. Nice. Yeah, I always know the, the volcanic eruptions are always a big, big deal. Yeah, they're usually a catalyst for some nonsense. That's for sure. That's why that's the big fear with the caldera in um, Yellowstone. Yep. Yeah. So then in 1275 to 
around 1300, they did radiocarbon dating. They didn't do it in that time period. The radiocarbon dating goes yeah. back to this. <laughs> Sorry, not clear. Um, but they looked at plants that were killed by glaciation, which is interesting. Okay. So the glaciers were growing. And then in about 1300, summers stopped being dependably warm in Northern Europe. And then around 1315, it started to rain, which yes. caused it's cold and it's rainy, which causes the Great Famine of 1315 to 1317. That's not good. Right. And then it's like a hundred and some years later, almost it's 200 and some years later. Math is hard. Um and that's when the beginning of worldwide glacial expansion starts to take place. So all of the mountains, the glaciers start to grow. So in 1650 was that first climatic minimum. So that was the coldest on record by that point in time. Okay. And then, like I said, it just abruptly ended one day. So here's the, here's the, the things that happened during the Little Ice Age. Historians kind of argued that a lot of cultural responses to the consequences of the Little Ice Age in Europe, especially consistent, consisted of violent scapegoating. So you've got prolonged cold, you've got dry periods, you've got wet periods, you've got droughts. There's poor crop growth, there's poor livestock survival, and there's just a shit ton of increased activity on pathogens and various disease vectors like yeah. the plague. Sounds um, like time for witchcraft. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So diseases kind of intensify under the same conditions that unemployment and, and economic different difficulties arise. Um, so you've got the prolonged cold, you've got the dry seasons. And what happens is you get a lot of disease and unemployment. And then it kind of creates this feedback loop. So the more unemployment that you have, then you have a lot of disease because you've got a lot of people being around each other. And then you've got this prolonged cold, you've got these dry seasons and it just keeps going and going and going and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good news was that originally a lot of the communities had contingency plans. So they kind of would like do better crop mixes. They had emergency grain stocks. They had the international food trade, but over time, like they run out of options and then the communities would, have violent crimes including robberies and murder um sexual offenses really increased such as adultery bestiality and rape um and then of course you know the europeans are trying to explain what the hell is going on what's causing all this famine the disease the social unrest and decide to blame it on someone yeah which good lord we're kind of in this cycle right now if you look at it like that yeah I've just got to back up there because <laughs> so what kind of person does the whole I'm sick and I'm tired. It's time for bestiality. That that's, that seems a little crazy. I mean, it just too much free time. I, guess. <laughs> I am stressed and unemployed time to rape animals. That's, that seems like a strange response. Well, maybe it started out that they were just cold. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Because I mean, a oh, lot of people God. have been sleeping in barns, so maybe I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. I don't know what what, yep. what sort of thought that is. And also, keep in mind too that this is a period of scapegoating. Who yeah. knows how much of that was 
was... Yeah, I was just going to say that it could be the whole thing of it's just a cover for theft, like the whole classic Welshman raping sheep because it's a minor... It's a more minor offense to have sex with a sheep than to steal it, so... Exactly. You get caught, you were clearly buggering it instead of, you know, stealing it, so yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I would take the bestiality. Adultery, eh, that's always happening. Yeah. Rape, that's always happening. I don't know how, like, <laughs> dirt probably is happening more because you've got more people around. And, like, rape is a especially violent against women, which is yeah. usually because, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that. But a lot of that also has to do with poverty circumstances. Yeah. So, like. Unemployed men definitely tend to lead to that. So. Right, right. Because they drink too much. They get into shit nonsense um and then there's a lot of studies that have been done that show a lot of increases in violent actions against a marginalized group um so here's some of that whole scapegoating the first was the resurgence of the witchcraft trials um the resurgence was brought on by the climatic decline So prior to the Little Ice Age, witchcraft was considered an insignificant crime and the victims were rarely accused. But in the 1380s, right towards the beginning of that Little Ice Age, the population began to drink, to drink, to link, not drink, but to link, sorry, to link magic and weather making. So the first systematic witch hunts began in the 1430s and by the 1480s it's widely believed that witches were held accountable for the poor weather which damn it that just sucks because then it expands of course right so they were blamed for direct and indirect consequences too they were blamed for livestock livestock epidemics um they were blamed because cows gave too little milk there was a late frost there was an unknown disease just all of it. So what they began to see was that in general, as temperatures dropped, the number of witchcraft trials rose. And then the trials decreased when the temperatures increased because things were going well, things weren't going well. Whenever things were bad, we just blamed everybody we could, right? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And then the peaks of witchcraft persecutions overlap with hunger crises. So that occurs um, around 1570 and 1580. And in 1580, it actually lasts for about 10 years. And, of course, they target women, especially poor women or widows. Because why should a widow get to live when her strong husband didn't? Bullshit. Uh, This is why people become hags. I'm just putting that out there. (laughs) Especially rampant ones, clearly. That's right. Um, And not everybody agreed that witches should be persecuted for weather-making but, you know, a lot of the arguments focus not on the fact of whether or not witches existed, but more whether or not they could control. So, like, people didn't disagree that witches existed, just whether or not they yeah. could control the weather. Like, she's a witch, but I don't know if she can do that. She can just, you know, yeah. make the cow's milk go sour and, like, keep my wife from bearing children, but, you know. So in the early Middle Ages, the Catholic Church actually said, you know, the witches can't control the weather because they're mortals and not a god. But by mid-13th century, most people were like, you know, they can control a lot of natural forces. I think this is them. (laughs) So another group that was scapegoated were the Jewish populations. Um, 
Christianity was the official religion of Western Europe, and within the populations, there was a great degree of anti-Semitism that has never really gone away. Yeah. There was obviously no direct link between the Jews and the weather conditions, but they were blamed quite often for diseases. So, for example, outbreaks of the plague were blamed on the Jews, especially in Western European cities during the 1300s. So the Jewish people were murdered in an attempt to stop the plague. And then rumors started to spread that the Jews were poisoning wells themselves or conspiring against Christians by telling those with leprosy to poison the wells. Leprosy used to be one hell of a thing, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, kind of amazing how that is just kind of no longer a deal. But... Well, there's something called drugs now that work. Yeah, for that. yeah I know. It's, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just not even something that you typically get and then need treated. Right. Um, so as a response to the violent scapegoating, the Jewish communities converted to Christianity or migrated to the Ottoman Empire, Italy, or territories within the Holy Roman Empire. Okay. So we've now blamed women. We've blamed the Jews. Um, so then they started to blame the cold periods on general just divine displeasure. Uh, so a lot of oppressed groups would take the brunt of the burden and attempts to cure that, though. So they tried to... Like in Germany, for example, they impose they um, impose these regulations on activities like gambling and drinking, which disproportionately, of course, affect the lower class. And then women were forbidden from showing their knees, which it's cold, girl. Put your pants on. Like, <laughs> just trust me on this one. Um, and then there were other regulations that affected the wider population, like dancing prohibition, um, sexual activities as well as moderating food and drink, but also the moderating food and drink makes sense because they didn't have a lot of food or drink. Yeah. And moderating sexual activities also makes sense so that they don't have a big population boom. That's just me. Um, in Ireland, the, the Catholics, of course, blame Reformation for the bad weather. So there's a book thing called The Annals of Locquet and in the entry for 1588, they describe a midsummer snowstorm um, where they said a wild apple was not even larger than each stone of it, blaming it on the presence of a wicked heretical bishop in Oifen. Um, and they think that that's the Protestant bishop of Elfin, John Lynch, which hmm. wild, wild. But they're not everyone did great, but also, I don't, I don't know how to explain this one well. So there's a new wave of research that's kind of looking at um, how some communities were able to be creative and adapt and then how some kind of failed. So okay. one, of, one of the examples is the plight of the Vikings in medieval Greenland, which just, it's so funny because in my head, the Vikings did not exist during this time period. I just want yeah. that really well known. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, like they already had died out by this period yeah. in my head, but they, they had not. Yeah. Um, so we do know that Viking settlers didn't just kind of like show up and expect to live the same way everywhere that they lived. So they kind of adapted to their various um, environments. So in Greenland, Viking hunters learned to travel for hundreds of miles to kill walrus and harvest their ivory and hides. And then sailors and longboats would bring the commodities to Europe in exchange for iron and other supplies and then they'd hoof them back. So as the North cooled in the 13th century, 
the Viking colonists developed an innovative irrigation system to increase the hay harvest. Um, and that also helps to reduce their dependence on agriculture because then they spend more time hunting seals and caribou. At first, they adapted really well to this cooler climate. But then a whole hundred years later, the tool or the ancestors of today's Inuit and Inupiat people migrated into Greenland and then they started clashing with the Vikings over access to the hunting grounds. So this was a big damn problem. And then to cap off that big damn problem, Europeans were like, I don't actually want walrus ivory. So the Greenlandic Vikings now no longer have access to their main export or a person to sell it to. Okay. So you've got a bunch of crises unfolding all at once. Um, and then it's starting to get even colder and literally it just unravels the livelihoods of the Vikings in Greenland. So the cooling by itself probably didn't do them in, um, but there was a lot of things that happened, including local and regional increases in the frequency and severity of storms, yeah. um, the extent and persistence of sea ice, and then just total unpredictability in the weather. So they couldn't trade or hunt or perform any of their agricultural activities. So one man sure probably they're... wouldn't have shut them down. It was all the things all at once that they eventually disappear from Greenland. Yeah. I'm sure you got the migration of these other people due to the change in weather that they're being driven South and other stuff and exactly running into them. So, yeah. So Basically, the Little Ice Age amounts to a long-term continent-wide agricultural crisis, but it affects the entire world, literally. You can look at the effects of the Little Ice Age in any country and see that grain harvests were absolutely affected worldwide, and they did not return to their previous levels for over 180 years, which affects everything, right? All of society is affected by that. And before this... Um, so we're going to talk about Europe because I'm European centric, obviously. Um, but before this moment in European history, society was largely organized along feudal lines. So the bulk of the population consisted of peasants that lived on land owned by a lordly overclass. So town life um, was dominated by restrictive guilds. And it was like really important that you had this social capital your family's status was based on your trustworthiness and competition but you couldn't reach beyond your station um and it just like it had lasted for a really really long time but during the little ice age it's overturned so at first there's all these panics and uprisings food riots rebellions the spike in witch trials um all that stuff and then larger structural shifts start to emerge So in the basic bargain of feudal life, the peasant keeps part of the harvest for themselves, one part back in the ground for the next year's harvest, and then gives the rest to their Lord. Right. Mm -hmm. But then if they don't have that surplus grain, the system totally collapses. So if all the local crops are failing, trading at a distance, bringing the goods to, you know, to market, all that stuff goes to hell. And then money and the ability to buy and sell with cash starts to take on a much larger role because you don't have a product. You, you need that like yeah. mediary. <sighs> My hands are cold. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm getting cold reading this. This was a bad decision. Uh, cities with a culture of trade, especially benefited from the shift of an item for an item to item for money. 
the preeminent example is in Amsterdam. So Amsterdam goes from being this kind of sleepy backwater of the Habsburg empire to this really thriving economic center. Um, and the Danish in general just have a really fantastic way of handling the little ice age. So here we see the birth of the idea that markets and the rules of market have supremacy in human affairs. So we see capitalism um, <laughs> and they see how the, the dispensation offered opportunities to a new breed of this like really ambitious, ruthless, commercially minded man. So Amsterdam was the home of one of the world's first big explorative overseas businesses known as the Dutch East India Company. Yeah, there you go. Yep. So the Dutch East India Company basically takes over the market on trade. The first thing that they do is to start taking over territory as well. So they burn down the city of, in, of uh, Jakarta in Indonesia. And then they lead an expedition to punish other traders um, who try to break into their monopoly on nutmeg by selling to <laughs> merchants. Like they are friggin' ruthless. Um, so when they do that, they execute all the merchants involved and then they kill 15,000 Islanders and then sold any survivors into slavery. And they basically said that it wouldn't have been possible if God wasn't on our side. So they yes. thought that they were blessed by God to be able to do all this. It's unreal. It's amazing how common that is. Right? Yeah. It's an interesting excuse for poor behavior is to say God said it was okay since I got away with it. Right? Yeah, exactly. God didn't strike me down, so he must have wanted it to happen, right? Exactly. So the Dutch economy booms for much of the late 16th and 17th centuries, so much so that the capital per capita wealth was higher in the Republic of Dutchland. That's not the right word. The Dutch region. Yeah. Where that ever the hell this is. My brain just broke. Um, but it, <laughs> the per capita wealth is higher here than it is anywhere else in the world. Um, and that goes, I mean, this lasts for into the 17th century, well into it. And the economy was so flexible, it is able to transform itself rather than to decline. So it is basically unparalleled until the 20th century, how much wealth was in that area. Yeah. And their infrastructure rapidly improved. Commerce expanded globally. They're the world's leading trading nation, but also I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to come up against them if they're just going to murder me. Right? <laughs> yeah. The Dutch army and especially the Navy won battles and wars against much larger, more populous nations um, and became Europe's leading maritime power for a while. And during this time, because they had time, they had money, they had resources. Um, the 17th century is still known as the Dutch golden age because culture and science took such a big leap during that time period. Nice. Yeah. Um, part of the successes of the Dutch life was that people lived in coastal cities so they could cope with shortages in certain foods because they had a much more diverse diet. Um, urban charities were formed to provide for the poor who were especially vulnerable to harvest failures. Um, and then, you know, when you have more money, you can have more social structure and you can start to provide for people in need. It's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. You 
you don't have people dying. I think that's how it would always work, but somehow it doesn't. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So let's get out of Europe and let's go to China, basically still Europe, but further west, east, further east. In China, um, China is the most populous country in the world, just like it still is. The Ming Dynasty fell in 1644, and the reason why was that the empire was undermined by erratic harvests. So what would happen was that in Europe, the rivers and lakes and harbors would freeze, and then you would have this phenomena called frost fairs on the rivers, Mm -hmm. and they would have these really big markets and things like that. Um, I'm just rambling now. This actually didn't go with where I thought it was going in my head. That was just a big ramble. So yeah, in Europe, the lakes and the rivers freeze and they have the frost fairs. Then they have these markets. Um, Birds would fall out of the sky because it was so cold. They were frozen. Yeah. Anyhow, um, another thing that happened that's linked to the little ice age is in 1588, the Spanish Armada is destroyed because of an Arctic hurricane, which I did not know was a thing which also was a factor in the great fire of 1666 because of the super dry summers that were there previously in the bitter winters. I mean, just anywhere you would look little ice age had big impact, right? Yeah. So what was happening in the Americas? Glad you asked, Will. (laughs) Um, Indigenous communities appear to have been especially inventive and resilient during the little ice age. So like, By the 16th and 17th centuries, the Iroquois in Northeastern America adapted to a cooling climate by shifting away from sedentary agriculture. So they would have, um, so they would go back to more of a hunting and gathering style lifestyle with much smaller settlements. Um, And some of the neighboring Iroquois communities migrated and depended on decentralized social networks to increase their resources. Um, Algonquin societies adopted the opposite approach and they totally abandoned egalitarian social orders in order to effectively defend their cornfields from rival community. They were not given up their cornfields. No. And then the Wabanaki Raiders used an indigenous technology known as the snowshoe to outmaneuver English soldiers to keep what they wanted. And then... the American Southwest, the Mojave people learned how to store and transport food as effectively as any of the Dutch merchants did. So they were making mad bank out in the Mojave. Nice. The vast Comanche um, that surged across the 18th century Great Plains, they kind of both benefited and adapted from the cooling of the Little Ice Age. So beginning in the 16th century, all that chilly, rainy water encouraged all the bison to migrate and then expand across the plains, which was much more fruitful for them. And the Comanche soon dominated by combining guns and horses uh, for both hunting and raiding. And they exploited those giant bison herds. Um, So this would explain why when settlers first started going across in the 1800s, they would like do the bison drives and drive them over cliffs. They just, yeah. they were shit tons of them everywhere because they had so much space to roam. So yeah, um, another, the, I'm, here's some thoughts about what might've happened. One researcher says, generally speaking, the little ice age is thought to have begun because of an increase in volcanism and reduced sun activity. 
I don't know why the sun has, I, I know sunspots and all sorts of shit cause things, but never quite understood why. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I've heard of those sorts of things, but yeah, I don't know much about the mechanism. So yeah, I don't really, it's kind of like, how does the moon affect our tides? Something about gravitational pull. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm slightly off on my astrophysics, I guess, but <laughs> so we talked earlier about the large volcanic eruption in 1257, but there were also three smaller eruptions through the end of the 13th century that may have contributed to the little ice age. So what happens from that is that aerosols from the eruptions shade the sun and make the earth colder. Yep. And then it starts a feedback loop that increases northern sea ice. And then that increases, that decreases the temperature worldwide. Um, so timing wise, that kind of makes sense. There's a little bit of empirical evidence that fall in lines with that. But then, you know, scientists don't like to agree on anything. So... Uh, another possibility is that they see some climatic models that behave strangely. Um, they show southern sudden changes in the north without adding any drivers like volcanism or changing solar activity. Mm -hmm. So they do these computer simulations and they call them the ugly ducklings because there's something wrong, <laughs> but they're not sure what it is. Um, so one of the things is that they think maybe... Um, it may be the changes in sea ice and sea outflow. So who knows? Uh, there's a lot of random variability, but some people think that these computer models are wrong. Some people are like, maybe they're actually correct. Yeah. Who knows, right? Yep. So there's seven possible causes of the little ice age when all is said and done. Orbital cycles. Sure. Decreased <laughs> solar activity. Sure. Increased volcanic activity makes sense to me. Yep. Altered ocean currents make sense to me. Um, actual fluctuations in human population uh, in various parts of the world, such as reforestation or deforestation, that makes sense. Yeah. But I haven't quite figured out what the solar activity, the orbital cycles actually kind of make sense to me as well, because I've done research on those. Um, they're a driving factor in human dispersion patterns. So that makes sense. Solar activity, still stuck on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what yeah. the truth is. Yeah, I know. I always think of the, like, Krakatoa, you know, the big volcanic explosion. I know they had the kind of the year without summer immediately after that and stuff. When you have enough particulate matter up in the air that everything cools and yeah, Started getting snow snowstorms in the summer and all that kind of stuff. So, I watched a really great National Geographic about what happens when uh, the Yellowstone caldera goes. Uh -huh. How far out, like the dust and ash goes and stuff like that. And I can see why people think it's a it's an evolutionary extinction event. Yep, extinction level event. Yeah, there's crazy stuff. I mean, that was you know that was the whole thing. We don't talk about nuclear winter much anymore because we've kind of gotten away from the constant fear of major nuclear exchange, but that was always the deal that everybody always assumed that there was a major, major nuclear war, they'd throw enough crap up into the air that you'd have basically the beginning of a, another ice age like event. So. I mean, it definitely is like mutually assured destruction if you do yep. a nuclear weapon. So makes sense that we have kind of gotten away from that kind of, 
I think some people still would use it if they could, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. You're hoping we know better, but you know. You know, some people don't like to think about consequences. I've learned that lately in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. You know, whatever. Yeah. Yep. So let's go down the rabbit hole and talk about other random ass shit that happened at the same time. Yep. Um, So we talked about the Great Famine beginning in the spring of 1315. Cold weather and torrential rains decimated crops and livestock across Europe. And there was just a bunch of class warfare and political strife that destabilized prosperous countries and millions of people starved. And that set the stage for the late middle ages. Um, And according to some reports, people did resort to cannibalism during the great famine, which persisted until the 1320s. Yeah. Another thing, um, the, an outbreak of the bubonic plague transmitted by rats and fleas wreaked havoc on Europe, North Africa, Central Asia in the mid 14th century, killing an estimated 75 million people, including about 30 to 60% of Europe's population. Um, And that's linked pretty heavily to the food shortages uh, of the little ice age, which weakened the immune systems and allowed rats to flourish and become much more aggressive which means they came much more in close contact with humans. In the first half of the 17th century, famines, floods, famines and floods caused by the unusually cold weather enfeebled uh, the Ming dynasty and unable to pay their taxes, the peasants rose up in a revolt and overthrew the imperial authorities. And the Manchurian invaders from the north capitalized on the power vacuum by crossing the Great Wall, allying with rebels and established the Qing Xing dynasty. Nice. Yeah. And then we talked about witches. So there was also the military conflict of the 30 years war between the Protestants and Catholics. Um, And they think that that was spurred on by, you know, we have these chilly conditions and we don't have any agriculture. We have inflated grain prices. People are pissed off. So they went to war. Why not? Makes total sense. Here's something good that came from the little ice age though. Yeah. When Spanish conquistadors first introduced the potato in the late 16th century, (laughs) Europeans were like, "Uh, no, (laughs) but the hardy tubers are good alternate crops and they lasted really well um, in comparison to other crops. And so it caught on pretty quickly, especially in Ireland, as a good way to survive was to eat these weird tubers. Get it? It's all good until the potato famine. That's right. Which, off the potato blight, I'm sad. Um, let's see. In France, there's two decades of poor cereal harvests, drought, cattle disease, and skyrocketing bread prices. So there's civil unrest with the peasants and the poor in France. Um And they basically are desperate and very resentful towards their um, leaders. And the leaders are imposing these really heavy taxes, but they never can help provide any relief. So people start rioting, looting, and striking. Um, Intentions erupt during the French Revolution in 1789, which has been connected now to this little ice age as a result of the little ice age the French Revolution happened. Yeah, there you go. Which leads to our friend Napoleon and everything else. Right. 
Napoleon. <laughs> um, okay, just two more. In 1816, the dust from volcanic eruptions and the general just chill of the Little Ice Age, basically the frosty year without a summer, is what it's known as across the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, many Europeans, including teenage runaway Mary Shelley, kept warm by huddling around a fire with her friends. One of them, the poet Lord Byron, encouraged his companions to write and share their own supernatural tales, which we know as Frankenstein. Because we talked about that one time. <laughs> also, I think Mary Shelley's got a fascinating story. Anyhow. Yeah. The final thing. The most admired violins in the history of music were made from the Middle Ages by Stradivarius and Guanari. So it's um, the reason why they are the most admired violins in the history of music is that trees took longer to mature in the cold so their wood was a lot denser and it created a much better sound quality and a much more intense resonance. So that's why the sound is so beautiful from a Stradivarius. Nice. Yep. So that's, that's the little ice age. Very cool. Yeah. No, I've always <laughs> heard it mentioned from time to time and all, you know, yeah, since it just affected everything, you know, it's funny because I think people are kind of grasping with some of the things that they're like, well, this definitely relates because of the ice age because of this, but like civil unrest is just a key indicator of shit going to hell. So yeah. I don't know. Everything can be related back to it in some ways. We probably yeah. can relate what we're dealing with to an ice age or something. Yep. I mean, it's interesting because you know, I always really enjoyed like the James Burke connection series where, you know, just basically goes through from event to event to event in history and shows how this led to this, led to this, led to this, led to this, which gives us this. And they're really fun connections to stuff. And I know, you know, the little ice age crops up a lot in there with why various things happened or changed or caused various inventions to show up. And it was pretty cool. So it's just funny to me how 500 years is literally what we're talking about. 500 years and everything gets blamed on it. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot, a lot for 500 years. So quite interesting. Uh, well, cool. Well, thanks for that one. That's, yeah, it's, it's a fun subject. So It is. And it's one that's almost frustrating because you can't tell every story because there's just so many. Yeah. So yep. you, I mean, any one of those little details could have been an entire hour long because there's, it's just all fascinating. It's just all yep. fascinating. Yep. Well, awesome. Well, good deal. I think we, we finally got a, a recording without, without our, you know, signal dropping out <laughs> due to all of the various issues all over the place. So you know, yeah, you're going to have fun editing that one. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. And thanks. you. Thanks to our listeners for listening yet again. And uh, I guess we're officially on year two now. So, or year three, I mean, geez. Year three. That's wild. Yeah. That's crazy. So fun times ahead. Yeah. Thanks for paying attention to us for this long. Cause we have some pretty loyal listeners. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Got to be pretty loyal to put up to us, <laughs> put up with us for a couple of years. But, yeah. 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 To be fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of rambling all right yep yeah it is lovely fun rambling yep. good stuff all right well thanks everybody again you know feel free to rate review subscribe tell your friends and uh 
We will catch you all next week. Bye. Bye-bye.